all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Happy Friday, everyone, and it's been nice to enjoy a little bit cooler weather this week. Um, we haven't been outside, as I would say, dying. Nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and so I'm excited because today we have on Dr. Danny Reich, who's a clinical pharmacist at UMC, and we are discussing cholesterol because mm-hmm. I think this is something that comes up a lot, particularly uh, women, men, Everyone, essentially. And we all know, as I mentioned, if you listen to the intro, two in five adults in the U.S. have high cholesterol. And the reason we care about high cholesterol is because it puts you at significant risk for heart disease and stroke, which we know are the leading causes. So I actually have a cholesterol expert here with me. So if you've listened to my show, uh, Danny has been on a few times, but Danny, if you don't mind for some people that might be listening for the first time, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Oh, thanks. And thank you for having me back, Dr. Kensey. Um, so I, I've done cholesterol management at UMC for my entire career. So um, going on 18 or it, over 18 years now, something along those lines. Uh, I'm boarded over by the uh, National Lipid Association for uh, Cholesterol Specialists and uh, I've written some books on it, done a um, dozen or so, uh, published manuscripts on cholesterol, several research studies. So this is kind of where my, my wheelhouse is and, and something that I'm passionate about. Uh, so that's why I'm very happy that you had me on and have this wonderful topic because we both know that a ton of these listeners are affected by cholesterol, cholesterol medications, or their family has been affected in some way by cholesterol uh, uh, management issues. And so uh, we would love to hear from y'all because I think it would be great to have a nice interactive cholesterol discussion. People get a lot out of other people's cholesterol stories. It's, It's different than some other diseases. And I completely agree. And I always like talking to my patients about it because I like hearing what's out there. (laughs) What are people saying? Because sometimes it's not always the most correct. So I really like this topic because cholesterol is one of those things um, I tell my patients when I talk to them a lot. When we know better, we like to do better. And we have learned so much about cholesterol over the years that is 
a little bit contradictory to what we've been taught for such a long time. Mm -hmm. So I always just like to go back to the basics so that everybody's on the same page. So I want to kind of define what does it mean to have high cholesterol. So what does that mean, Danny? Sure. And to to not go into uh, depth over specific diagnoses let's let's stay let's stay real basic when you think about cholesterol you get one of four numbers on a cholesterol screening panel you can do these at health fairs your primary doctor probably does it at wellness or if you've had cholesterol issues you have them on an annual basis in general and so the first is total cholesterol believe it or not it's also the most meaningless of all the numbers um, because it's really just a total of the other numbers Uh in some kind of equation it doesn't mean as much because the other three numbers consist of LDL or bad cholesterol, uh, HDL or good cholesterol, and then triglycerides, which is a measure of fat or free fatty acids that are floating around in the blood. They're related to some other things outside of the cholesterol. Uh, For example, they go up if your sugar is high in diabetes. So you have a lot of things uh, uh, that can affect these. But the total cholesterol is just a number that's an addition of most of those. So if your good cholesterol is high, so is your total. So one of the biggest misnomers is my total cholesterol is over 200. What do I need to do? Well, if your good cholesterol was elevated, you don't need to do anything. Exactly. Um, And then there's a second component to this, just keeping as simple as we can. Just because you have a 100 on your bad cholesterol doesn't mean it's good or bad. Because your bad cholesterol, depending on your genetics, can be a worse or more atherogenic or something that causes heart attacks to more degree, uh, LDL cholesterol or bad cholesterol, than another person who's sitting next to you with the exact same number. And so sometimes, and I, I, we had a conversation beforehand, and I, I think Dr. Kenzie has some really good uh, insight on it. Sometimes it's not the genes we wear, it's the genes we're born with as it relates to cholesterol. Mommy, dad, they gave you a whole lot of things that process cholesterol in your body in certain ways. And if those things process cholesterol in a way that increases your risk, you will see the risk over another person, even if your number is lower than that Mm -hmm. other person. And that's an excellent point. And I think cholesterol is one of those things. um, When I talk to my patients that it is so individualized, Mm -hmm. you you have to look at the whole patient. We can't just look at the number. And and Danny brought up a great point when people tell me my my total cholesterol was over 200. Well, we need all the other factors when we're looking at what's going on to really determine what that means for you. And and, and all fairness to all my patients, we were taught that for so long. Even when I started medical school, it was the cholesterol number. You got to get it down. You got to get it to this. Mm -hmm. And it was very kind of hyper focused on reaching these certain numbers. And so um, Danny brought up a good point. Now we've learned that that is not it. Like that's not the only thing that's going to determine, you know, why do we care about cholesterol? Because everybody tells us we got high cholesterol. We have heart attack. We have stroke. We can have all these things that high cholesterol put you at risk for. But now we've learned in science, that's not the only thing. There's more to it. So now, so how do we figure that out? How do we figure out, uh, we now have a fun special tool that I (laughs) spend a lot of time talking about in clinic that I think some people are like, you're just making up stuff, Dr. Quincy. (laughs) And I'm not. So there's studies that are teaching us this. So what's the ASCVD? This is the new thing that a lot of, not necessarily new, but to some patients, it's a new concept. It's pretty new. So if we, and I love teaching history in medicine, and I'm not going to go into super amounts of history, but I'm going to teach you a little bit right 
<laughs> so, um, so in the past, they had the Framingham study. This was a study done on like 800 white guys in Massachusetts. This is, I'm not even joking. Like, and what they did was they took characteristics of those people and then they looked 10 years ahead and said, okay, those with heart disease risk had these characteristics. And that became our risk stratification for cholesterol. Well, obviously that has nothing to do with females. That has nothing to do with African-Americans or, or non-Caucasian. It, it, it was, it's just off. And yet from the seventies all the way to the late t- uh, 2010s, that was the best metric of modifying risk or, or managing, uh, calculating risk. And then what we have now is the ASCBD calculator, which took that plus several other uh, uh, studies into play and made a, a better calculation metric. And so what it's doing is it's trying to tell you that you have some percentage, seven and a half percent in general is the accepted cutoff, some percentage of risk in 10 years of having a heart attack. So that's your that's your number. And once you hit over that risk metric, once you're over that number, we got to do something to lower your risk. There has to be an intervention. We got, it's not just diet in this point. It's not just, I got to get on the exercise bike. Sometimes it's because your uh, uh, race, um, um, your race, uh, sex, and family history risk combination is quite simply too high. African American, for example, is one here in the Jackson area. I'll treat African Americans much more aggressively cholesterol wise because they have this higher risk at lower age, particularly African American women. And and so we have to look at those individual patients. And the ASCVD calculator took more individual metrics and gave us the ability to say. I have a better risk stratification for you. And so um, I, I think that that's been a really good thing for your doctors, that that doctors are now uh, very, very qualified to treat in in the very least the first and then second time uh, for needing to get to a certain uh, either number or risk lowering for a certain type of patient. So it's it's been great. And from a cholesterol specialist standpoint, I get less referrals now because the people are doing it a lot better. Um, and so I, I think this calculator has been great for the public good in terms of risk mitigation due to cholesterol. I agree. And like we said before, and just to kind of clarify the aspects of that calculator, it looks at the person's age. And so it's really just a good calculator for people between the ages of 40 and 75. That's who we have the good data on. And then, um, we also, it looks at, uh, are you male or female? It looks at your race. It looks at your total cholesterol as well as your good cholesterol. It even calculates in what your blood pressure is. Are you on blood pressure medications? Do you have diabetes and do you smoke? So it looks at all of those things. But I want to go ahead and take a call here and we'll talk a little bit more about that ASCVD score. But I've got Larry and Hazelhurst here this morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. How are you this uh, morning? Great thanks to uh doctor that found my track this ride. Well good. I'm, uh, good. I'm eighty six and virtually perfect health, a little asthma, and that's about it. And uh great grandpa lived to be a hundred and I hope to make it. But when I turned forty, I went to famous doctor in Shreveport. I was a I'm a Methodist pastor, retired. I was pastor over in Bolger City then and went to Doctor Holobeck and uh, had a few minor complaints. Why did you really come? These are not worth going to a doctor for. I said, because half my uncles are dead in their 40s and half of my co- half of my cousins have died in their 40s. So he put me in shepherd and ran a bunch of tests. The next morning he said, you're in virtually perfect health, except you have one problem that 
gives you about 48 months to live. I said, what? He said, your triglycerides are 1,300. You need to get them under 200. So don't eat any more fat. I eat a lot of chicken and a lot of fish. And to make a long story short, I've kept it down around 200 ever since. All the red meat I eat in a week would fit in the palm of my hand. Hello, are you there? Yes, sir. Hey, hey, Larry, I got a lot of comments. First off, I did my training in North Louisiana. I've been to Bossier City. I've been to Shreveport. Um, and now I don't know. I don't know why he said forty-eight months, but that—that's kind. Of, he did what's called a scare tactic. Now, here's here's the here's the big thing with you. What you did was you treated something that really was a risk. Once triglycerides get over eight hundred, it will convey cardiovascular risk. But more importantly, once they're over a thousand, particularly, I think the number is eight hundred eighty-nine. If you really want to go to the studies. Um, pancreatitis risks increases. Now, pancreatitis is life-threatening. So, you know, 1,300, et cetera. And, and my man, listen, uh, coming from someone who actually himself had an over 1,000 triglyceride. Yes, I, I, I speak about cholesterol, but I also have to walk that walk because I myself have a cholesterol problem. So 1,300, yeah, you needed to treat that down. Now, down below 200 is concept, not an actual goal. What you want to do is you want to treat the triglycerides down to where the good cholesterol Cholesterol outweighs the combination of the bad cholesterol and triglycerides. 200 is a nice generic number. The fact that you chose to do that and then your 86 kind of shows that the outcome was right, right? And that that whole 48 months thing was malarkey, right? Okay. <laughs> and and I, I think the last thing for you is uh, you did it with dietary change from a very high number. I've had a couple of patients who've done that. And I'll tell you what, one of them every single Father's Day and every Christmas still texts me now. He's moved out of state. Um, and, and, and he, he brings this up and he had a very similar story to you and he's a very happy granddad right now. So I think what you did was excellent for you. Uh, uh, in terms of diet, you cutting out all the meats. Well, that's, that's something for sure. But the triglycerides now, not just going to be fat oriented. They're also going to be carbohydrate oriented. Remember, anything that increases a free fatty acid circulating in your blood is going to increase triglyceride risk. So, and and then I I want to go to what we said earlier. Your genes, you 86 years old. I ain't going to reach 86. There's a 0% chance I'm at 86, okay? But your genes put you in the ability that if you did things the right way, you had the potential to reach 100. And Larry, man, I mean, if you 100 still calling over here, me and Jasmine are doing this, I, I, I'm going to look forward to that call. But you did a great job in your life. And triglycerides are certainly something that impact people's lives. Uh, and I'm so thankful for your call and you sharing your story. Well, he told me this uh, familial, and uh, this. So we check, check my children. I have one boy and one girl, and sure enough, mm-hmm. about half and half. One of them was normal, and one was high. Yep. And he said that's about what you'll find. It's about half and half. And uh, great grandpa fought the Civil War, lived to be a hundred in the middle of World War II. When I was six years old in 1942, he uh, told me a Civil War story. And so I have a Civil War story firsthand from the war fought 150 years ago because I got a hold of my triglycerides. You, you know, Larry, you from Bossier City. I can already tell because you we call. OK, let me tell you what we call us. Right. I'm the same way. We call us raconteurs. Now, that's that's kind of a Cajun term for storyteller. And that's what we do. We live by telling stories. And if you don't tell stories, then your life, your your life is a little more empty. And you tell you tell a good story, Larry. Thank you so much for sharing it today. 
it works in the pulpit too when I'm preaching. It sure does, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And today I have on with me Dr. Danny Reich, who is a clinical pharmacist at UMC. And we have been discussing cholesterol, which is something that a lot of our patients deal with. And so we've learned a lot so far. And I'm going to hop right on to our caller, John, in Mobile, because he has been waiting patiently. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, Dr. Kinsey. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Well, what's your question this morning? Well, well, hey, I'm so glad I tuned in. Um, I have severe heart disease that I've, I've suffered with since I was 41. I'm 57. And I was diagnosed with LP little a syndrome. And I was wondering if Danny or you have any insight for me. I'm in a clinical study uh, where I get a monthly injection, but is there anything I can do to try to control my LP little a? My my LDL is in the 40s, my HDL is uh, in the high 50s, and my triglycerides are low. It's I just have a family history on my mom's side of LP little a, and it's really bad. And uh, any insight that y'all have for me, I really would appreciate it. Hey, John, uh, thanks. And uh, you have brought up one that now I'm going to tell uh, the, the audience now, LP little a elevations are not super rare, but LP little a, L, little a elevations that induce early heart disease are much more infrequent in the country. Uh, this is a, a genetic component, nothing that nothing you can do about that, John, from a genetic standpoint, a genetic component that adds atherosclerotic risk on top of bad cholesterol. So uh, the example I use is if your LDL conveys, let's say, a 100% risk at a certain number, then the LP little a of you versus the person sitting next to you with the exact same LDL but no LP little a elevation, the LP little a will increase your heart disease risk 30 to 40%. And so you are you are already at a higher rate. So you need to be treated more aggressively. And so you have focused. It sounds like you and your doctor, at least, have focused on LDL or bad cholesterol reduction. You said down to 40, which is exactly where I would house you. I would go less than 50. I would go less than 50 if I could. So down to 40. Uh, which is where I house my LP little a elevations. Um, there are only a few things that lower LP little a estrogen is one of them. And John, I don't think we're going to be doing that for you. Um, just uh-huh. because you know, that's not good. Uh, niacin's another one, um, high doses of it over long periods of time, but the percent reduction is very minimal. And if you don't have an, a low good cholesterol or HDL, which you said yours was elevated, right? So you have a good, good cholesterol. Right. Um, so that's yeah. probably not going to give you the benefit for the LP little a reduction. There are some trials going on, however, and it sounds like you might be in one of them. So I think you're actually, yeah, you're doing the thing I would have you do if I was worried about LP little a increasing your risk to mitigate it. Okay. Um, But I think very low LDL reduction with statins, PCSK9 inhibitors, considering your heart disease risk is my first step, um, and particularly high potency statins, for example, uh, atorvastatin or rosuvastatin, which I assume that's one of the ones you're on. Um, It is. Now, look at that. I'm on 80. 
I'm 80 on 80 milligrams of uh, a tortoise There it is. And so I, I think everything your doctor's done is very good for you. I don't think that small diet changes make a whole lot of difference in your risk mitigation. I think that taking the meds you're taking and then being in the study that you are are probably the best options for you. And then, you know, that comes to show. I mean, you had the heart disease at, what, 43? And then now you're here uh, years and years later. Keep doing it. You'll be here for years to come, my man. Okay, thanks so much. I really appreciate the insight, and you'll have a great day. Appreciate you, John. Have a good holiday. Thank you, John, for your call. Well, that was it. Thank you, John, because he brings up an excellent point that, as we said before, you know, it's just so much more involved than just the number. So just getting the total cholesterol um, is not always the answer. It's helpful, but not always the answer. And also highlights how this is an individual, you know, case by case basis, how we manage cholesterol in patients. So I'm going to hop on to our next call. We have got Candice and Purvis. Good morning, Candice. Good morning. How are you this morning? Hey, Candace. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, I actually am not calling about uh, cholesterol, even though I do have high cholesterol. I've, I've tried everything with diet, and I have a low tolerance to statin. Um, but I, there was a question about the most requested gift at Christmas during the 1960s. Okay. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it does. It, it might have been another show. Or was it today or? Can I guess? It was today. It was today. Okay. Well, Do I, I get calling, to guess? I was, I was calling to guess, but you're probably going to guess the same thing I was guessing. What, what you got, Candace? I said a Red Rider BB guy. <laughs> I was going for Barbie because the movie. Yeah, maybe like (laughs) G.I. Joe's, too. You know, G.I. Joe's back then, those little action figures. But you know, back in the 60s now. Okay, I'm going to tie this back to cholesterol, believe that or not. Are you ready? So now back in the 60s, they used to have these entire kitchenette toys. And so you'd get like this green stove or something and and all these kitchenware. And it was actually almost intentional from a home ec perspective. Do you remember those concepts? Like. So from home economics, and uh, I'd be willing to bet some of those kitchenettes for the for the girls at Christmas might be right there on the top of them 1960 Christmas toys. And you know, you cooking and cholesterol, right? So it ties together. There you go. That's great. That's great. Well, since I do have you on the line for um, cholesterol, what are your recommendations outside of medication and diet? Is there any other and exercise? Is there any other any other outlets or any other oh okay um well kind of so so when we're talking about cholesterol maybe you're you're directly saying oh i want to lower my cholesterol what else can i do well more so it's about lowering your risk of a negative outcome from high cholesterol so those risks would be atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease for example strokes and heart attacks so other things you can do if you have diabetes making sure your sugar is under control if you have high blood pressure making sure your blood pressure is under control and you're on appropriate medications for your individual situation. Taking aspirin generally, especially if you've already had a heart attack or a stroke, um, or an aspirin uh, equivalent uh, in terms of stroke, sometimes a more powerful aspirin-like product. And then, of course, quitting smoking um, would be kind of maybe the biggest one. 
I, I think if you're a smoker, I think it conveys oh, yeah, the definitely. most. Risk. So I, I think yeah. those four things, I might be missing some uh, because, you know, there's other things about prevention of, of, of things. But in terms of cholesterol, I probably say those four things rank really highly outside of diet, exercise, medication spe- specific to lower cholesterol numbers. I would have to agree. <laughs> So is high cholesterol kind of a a rite of passage as you age? Because I do not have diabetes. I do not have high blood pressure. I'm otherwise healthy. I don't smoke. I just, I can't seem to get my cholesterol to come down. I don't. Yeah, um, I I don't know about rite of passage. You know, they in in medicine we've changed a lot of things over a lot of time. For example, we still have a diagnosis called essential hypertension because we thought that as people aged, blood pressure going up was essential to their aging. And so, so that's for blood pressure from a cholesterol standpoint. It really isn't terribly dissimilar. As we age, we get a little bit less active. We get a little bit less of this. We eat a little bit more of that. We have uh, money generally in retirement that we can do other things that are outside the scope of what we once did. Um, And I, I think that that plays a little bit of a role. In addition, as we age, we tend to develop some of these other conditions mm-hmm. that then limit us from doing things, uh, whether it be heart disease, stroke, etc. Um, and I, I think all that kind of plays a role. So it's associative more than causative, um, you know, like not necessarily essential to aging, um, but associated with aging. Sure. I, I, and and I, I think that's why as we age, we need to be more cautious and conscientious about what it is we do to prevent those untoward outcomes. And I just think, Candace, too, unfortunately, as the longer you live, the more you experience, the more, you know, health problems sometimes we have in general. Um, but like Danny said, if, we're, if we've said if there's a direct correlation, we're not 100 percent sure. But we also know with women postmenopausal, your cholesterol does go up. There is that hormonal, as we always say, kind of aspect to it. So it's not uncommon if you've had well-controlled cholesterol in the past and you've done all the right things that sometimes when we hit menopause, you can see um um, those levels go up as well. So would hormone therapy help? Uh, help help with cholesterol? Uh, I, I like if you're talking, so hormone therapy is a, is a really wide concept. Uh, if you're talking about estrogen, adding estrogen, uh, generally right. that'll increase the good cholesterol, the HDL cholesterol, but, but we're not going to add estrogen for the sake of cholesterol or mitigation of risk. Uh, that's going to definitely okay. be something that's outside the scope of cholesterol and more towards does it treat the untoward symptoms of mm-hmm. menopause or, or um, is there a bone-related functioning for certain estrogen-like or serum modulators and stuff? Uh, less so with okay. cholesterol. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that answers my question. Thank you all for, for doing what you do, and have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. You too. You too. Thank you. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And again, I have on with me Dr. Danny Reese, who's a clinical pharmacist at UMMC and a cholesterol expert. Um, so we have had the chance to talk a little bit about what is high cholesterol, what does the numbers mean when we're drawing these lab tests, and some different treatment options. And so, Angie, I thank you so much for being so patient with yes. me. We're going to take a call from Angie, who's in Mobile. Good morning, Angie. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys are having a great day. 
Yes, ma'am. Tell me a little bit about your question this morning. Well, I was wondering kind of what you can take instead of uh, statins. I was on a statin, and the doctor uh, started me with 20 milligrams, and then we kind of, like, started reducing it down. Then I think I was on statin and another kind of statin. And they always give me really, really bad um, muscle aches, even at the low milligrams. I mean, it's like they're like really bad um, cramps. And even though my potassium and everything is okay, it it just gives me cramps. So I was wondering, um, what can you actually take instead of statins? Or what do you need to do if your doctor kind of you know, keeps trying to give you statins, but I get the feeling that for whatever reason, I just can't take them. So this is an excellent question. Thank you, Angie. Probably the most common question that we get with statins, because we do get a lot of people that get muscle aches. Absolutely. Excellent question. Uh, So, okay, we'll we'll start with this. Um, Statins are critically important to preventing cardiovascular disease in people with high cholesterol. That's step one. So because of their critical importance, you'll find that doctors will try to get you on one even if you have intolerance. The the main intolerance for statins is called myopathy or myalgia, in essence, muscle pain and cramps, exactly what Angie is describing. So in the case of a statin, like she mentioned, a torvastatin, causing muscle cramps, generally lowering the dose is step one, which she did. Then switching the statin to a more what we call hydrophilic statin, like provastatin, which is what I think she mentioned, is the next step. Lower potency, more hydrophilic. And she's continuing to have these muscle aches, pains, cramps, etc. Once you get to about two statins intolerance, what I do is I make sure to check two things. Number one, thyroid. You have to check the TSH and make sure that the person does not have hypothyroid. In people with statin myopathy, I have found that if the hypothyroid exists, they will never tolerate a statin until the thyroid is corrected. So that's step one. That doesn't mean, Angie, that you have a thyroid problem. It means that's one thing I, I would check. I actually do. I take levothyroxine um, 0.137 every day. So, and that's a pretty significant dose of levothyroxine. Um, and so I, I think one thing I would do is check a TSH free T4, maybe even a T3 and do so on, um, you know, while you're having the myopathies on a hydrophilic statin. That might be one thing I did. I'm not trying to make a medical recommendation for your doctor, but certainly thyroid must be assessed. Next is vitamin D. Um, vitamin D being less than, so out of the research I've done at UMC, so I'm talking about in Mississippi. Um, which is important because their sun exposure change state to state. So it's relevantly different. But in Mississippians, I have found that if your vitamin D inherently is less than 32, your statin intolerance is elevated. If it is less than 20, you almost don't have a chance to tolerate a statin. So repleting the dose of vitamin D in a case series that I did at UMC uh, improves statin tolerance by 90%. Which means if you can supplement the vitamin D, you can even try the same statin and you'll tolerate it with less cramping or no cramping. So I I think thyroid and vitamin D might be what the step you're at is. However, you ask the question, what can you do? Let's presume that none of that is a problem for you. Um, 
There are several other options than statins. Uh, Azitamibe or Zidia is one of them that is commonly given, although it does not convey the cardiovascular benefit. Um, uh, very commonly nowadays in people who have cardiovascular disease, PCSK9 inhibitors are used. Uh, Pregulant and Repatha are the two names of them. They're injections every couple weeks. And so a little bit different, but certainly something that'll lower LDL cholesterol. Angie, as it relates to you, I don't know your specifics. I don't know what meds you're on. I don't know your other diseases. I can't tell you that's the right answer. But I can tell you there are options for you and there are assessments that can be done for you to see if you can take that statin myopathy you have and make it not a problem. And so I hope that that happens for you. Um, but I would say that the best thing to do at this point is maybe take some of those concepts we talked about, thyroid, vitamin D, PCSK9 inhibitors, and Zidia, and bring it to your doctor as options rather than maybe getting your fourth or fifth statin. That's um, the definition, and I'm not saying your doctor is this, but when we do the same thing, but we expect a different result is the definition of, and some words are worse than others, but I'm going to use the word insanity. And so uh, we uh, we don't want to do insane things. And so uh, maybe just now that you're armed with a little bit of knowledge there, it's worth a, a conversation. Well, thank you so very much, and I hope you guys have a great day. Great advice. Happy Labor Day, uh, Angie. Thank you for your question, Angie. And that definitely brings up some great options, you know, different options as far as we have for cholesterol treatment. And I don't want to have Miss Carol waiting too long on us, so we'll go on and move on to our next caller, Miss Carol. Good morning. Yes, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Tell us a little bit about your question. Well, um, excuse me. My uh, my doctor uh, in the past has put me on um, the different statins, you know, because she said that every time I come in for a checkup, my uh, cholesterol is a little bit high. I don't know the numbers or anything, but I've been um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 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 prescribed uh, a torvastatin, provastatin, and ruvastatin. And I, I'm not taking them because they would accelerate my heartbeat when I would take it at night. And then I'm concerned about whether or not they actually contribute to dementia. Okay, so these are great questions. Um, so you have mentioned three different statins, the brand names of which sound like Lipitor, Pravacol, and Crestor. Uh, it sounds like your doctor's giving you multiple statins because you're not on one of the other ones. And it sounds like it's because it caused palpitations or tachycardia known as higher or increased heart rate. Um, that would be a pretty uncommon adverse effect of statins and maybe more so related to some of your sleep habits or the fact that you're taking it causing an anxiety situation. However, some statins do have it listed as an adverse effect. It's just not going to be much higher than placebo. Um, That doesn't mean it isn't happening in you that way. It just, I couldn't point to one direct mechanism to say, here you go. This is why. Now, coming back on the side of your question, which is the dementia one, statins have been looked at across years on dementia, Alzheimer's, all of these different things. One thing we do know is we have a lot of long-term data on stats. That's one thing we do know. Another thing we know is that dementia, Alzheimer's, and the like have increased in diagnostics throughout these years. Um, Perhaps 
uncovering it where it didn't where it existed but wasn't diagnosed before uh, and while all the while people being on statins long term now that being said some statins have had increased or elevated dementia risk in some of their long-term studies those statins are some of the older ones um the newer statins less so less so and there are some studies that indicate maybe a prevention of alzheimer's from statins as well my view is that this is a very individualized concept because dementia itself is a very individualized structure it is the brain and once we get into the brain my joke is once we get into the brain everything is gray it's no longer black or white and you get it like gray matter it's a really terrible joke but (laughs) but nonetheless it's my joke and so i think that it becomes maybe is the answer and i don't have a better one for you and no one else is going to have a better one for you because the answer is it could impact dementia in a positive negative or no way at all um and so uh if you're uh if you're if you're having uh dementia or dementia related capacity issues maybe just structurally fix those in in a way with your doctor not necessarily fix but address those in a way with your doctor um but if you do have cardiovascular risk the chance of the cardiovascular disease taking you is going to be quicker than say the dementia taking uh your life so i I, i'd say uh try to um see if you can get a dose right or a drug right to make sure your cholesterol is is controlled enough for your individual situation does that make a lot of sense or a little bit of sense maybe a little bit of sense it does make make sense um I just, you know, since, since I stopped taking them, I don't have the palpitations in my heart sure. anymore. And uh, I, I'm concerned about that. The dementia is secondary, of course. But, uh, right. Yes, ma'am. Just, just asking. That's all because yeah, really it's, it's good questions. I, I don't, I, 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 you're, you're the first caller I didn't have a real answer to. And I, I'm sorry because you asked two hard questions, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, <laughs> um, but they were good questions. And I, I hope you wind up finding resolution to to be able to mitigate your cardiovascular risk while still providing you the quality of life that you want in the absence or in the presence of a cholesterol medicine. That would be the goal for me. So it's about weighing your quality of life with risk from the medicine. So uh, find that balance. And I think the best call your doctor and have that conversation, but find that balance. And I think you'll be happiest. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. And I do appreciate your information. Sure. Have a great Labor Day. Thank you so much for your call, Miss Caroline. And I just want to add to that, like Danny brings up a great point, and I'm happy that she asked that. It's again, you know, and I say this kind of each Friday just to remind remind our callers that it's very much a shared decision. And we really kind of push towards that in medicine, having the conversation with your, your doctor about your concerns. And we always talk about in medicine risk versus benefits. Are the benefits of this enough for me right. that I'm willing to take the different risk. And so we know the significant effects of high cholesterol for some people being a heart attack, being a stroke, especially if you've already had a stroke or already had a heart attack. If that is very high for you, you know, the risk of dementia for you and family history and things like that might be very low. And so that's why it's really a balancing act and hard to, there's not a one size fits all in medicine. And I think cholesterol is one of the things that definitely highlights that. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal 
internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. And I have had on with me this morning, Dr. Danny Reich, um, our clinical pharmacist at UMMC. And we have learned a lot about cholesterol and mm. management and, you know, statins. They're just, yep. of course, our most common medication that we use to treat it. Well, we have time for one more call. Um, we have Sam and Meridian. How are you this morning, Sam? Yes, good morning. I was uh, trying to find out whether if I should be really concerned about my uh, white blood cell count being up for the past three years. Uh, it was, uh, you know, that's just the standard. I took the uh, the, the uh, blood test, the, the lip, whatever blood test, and uh, it was ranged from the, the standard was the standard range from two to six, from from two to six. Mm-hmm. And my the first year it was uh, seven point five. All right. The second year it was nine point one or two, nine point two. And this third year it was eight point five. And and that's the uh, you know the white. Yes, they, sir. They say that uh, that's the, uh, the mono, mo, I forget the, the name of the mono, mono something, but it's a increase of white blood cells uh, in my in my in my blood. Yes, so, sir. So I guess I have a it would be a kind of a couple of things when you're getting your white blood cell count checked. Um, were you ill at the time, or these were just kind of in your routine um, clinic visits? Clinic visit, visit, you know, I, I get my blood, my, my cholesterol checked and everything, and get all those uh, 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 things checked in the blood, the blood analysis, and uh, and, and and those been my numbers. Yes, and, sir. Uh, so I'll be honest, that's kind of a challenging question to answer because I tell people just kind of like Danny and I have been talking a little bit about the cholesterol. It's also the makeup of your white blood cell count. So there's different types of white blood cells. We have neutrophils, lymphocytes, monocytes, different types um, that yeah. we look at. So it's Mono- looking. I'm sorry. My, my monocyte, yeah, monocyte, monocyte. Your monocytes, gotcha. Monocyte. Yeah, so it really, you know, it can vary from patient to patient. I tell everybody it's kind of, you know, a normal range for labs is an average. Like what we see if we get labs on a person, this is what most people your age or sex would normally fall into for the count. Those numbers that you're telling me are not significantly elevated where I would be particularly worried about for a patient, even though they're a little bit higher than what we normally see. Um, But it's kind of one of those things where you have to look at the whole patient, everything that's going on, your family history. Sometimes your your own primary care doctor may do additional workup on that white blood cell count, meaning they may actually have someone look at your blood cells under a slide to make sure those things look okay. So in all my patients, I say if it's something you're worried about, talk to your doctor about what is the next step for working that up. But the kind of numbers that you're giving me, honestly, in most of my patients, I wouldn't be too alarmed about. Um, But again, that's knowing the family history, other things that are going on. How are you feeling at that time and what your other labs are looking like? So I definitely, if it's something you're worried about, 
talk to your doctor about it, about further working it up. Um, and, and we can usually do some additional tests in the clinic that can kind of tell us if it's something that you need to see a specialist about. Or, you know, although your white blood cell counts look a little high, they look normal. So I'm not too worried. Um, so I would just kind of say just have that conversation with your doctor. But those nar- numbers aren't ones that I jump right to. Even though, even though I, I, I have a history of prostate cancer. Yes, sir. So that would be uh, definitely kind of, you know, just talking to your primary care provider about, you know, if that's something to continue to work up. But I say if, if you're worried about it, have that discussion with your provider about the next step for additional workup. But I'm so sorry, Sam, that our time has been cut short today. We're kind of getting to the end of the show. But I really appreciate your call. And I really want you to talk to your doctor about getting that worked up. Okay. Okay, thank you. You have a great morning. All right. Well, thank you so much, Danny, for being on this Thanks morning and me, learning and teaching us so much about cholesterol. And I and so what are your take home? I always ask all my guests that come on, what is it that you want people to take away from our discussion today? If they if they have to remember something, what yeah. is it you want them to remember? Oh, if I, two things, then let's do number one, at least have your cholesterol checked. Let's let's start there, because um, because because not doing it and as going to be 40 and 50 a year old on this on this that listening right now who haven't had a check so number one let's have your cholesterol checked and number two just understand that it, in cholesterol there isn't one answer there are many things we can do so you're not stuck with what it is you have going on if something untoward or negative is happening to you ask your doctor have the conversation there are a lot of things that you can do for your cholesterol um, but number one have it checked I completely agree. And as I tell everybody, you know, we like to talk about, you know, what the options are out there and just have an open discussion with our patients to give them things, some, or our listeners, as I say patients, it comes <laughs> automatically to say patients, but our listeners, just to have you thinking about it and looking into it and having that discussion with your provider and always just taking away, like we said, not one size fits all. So what may work for your friend may not work for you. And just, you know, bring into mind that cholesterol is complicated. What you see on that paper is only just the tip of the, literally the tip of the iceberg. I think that's a great <laughs> the way to put it. It, it. it cannot be looked at just by itself. But I thank all of you for listening this morning. And I hope everyone has a wonderful Labor Day weekend. I hope people get that three-day weekend. Congrats to those that don't. But I also work in medicine, <laughs> so I understand how that works when you yeah. have to work on that day. But this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded by part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nanny. Our call screener is is myself. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us Friday at 11 for Southern Remedies Women's Health. Stay tuned to NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We'll be right back.